0: Pick Pet Honda for all your automotive needs. Shop and save on over thirteen hundred of your favorite new Hondas during the Happy Honda Days sales event. Like a new twenty nineteen Honda Accord LX front wheel drive sedan, lease for two forty nine a month, thirty six months, twelve thousand miles per year, and zero security deposit. Visit us at eleven one fifty one U S forty nine in Gulfport. Online at Pet Stock number K A one six one five three three automatic two thousand ninety nine due signing plus tax, tag, and title fee to qualified buyer See dealer for details. Ends one Pick Peck Honda for all your automotive needs. Shop and save on over 1,300 of your favorite new Hondas during the Happy Honda Days sales event. Like a new 2019 Honda Accord LX front-wheel drive sedan. Lease for $249 a month. 36 months, 12,000 miles per year, and zero security deposit. Visit us at 11151 US49 in Gulfport. Online at patpeckhonda.com. Stock number KA161533. Automatic 2099. due it signing plus tax tag and title fee. to qualified buyer, see dealer for details. Ends one 20
1: around the doorways the you know windows seals and things like that keeps bad out
2: okay well we'll cover that so, as, okay so uh to hop back on the topic i know that we kind of went off on a little skew but we'll get back on uh on that again okay. this topic again so once you've identified that there's something, that you go back and you find that there's something there. Is something that you can do on your own before you oh, start. <laughs> These meetings not a lot. Uh, you
1: can do things on your own, like set up cameras and try to get, you know, like if doors are opening, you can set up a small camera at night and then. You know, when you wake up in the morning, check the camera and see if that's, you know, if that's it. I would never hire a ghost team to come in and investigate my home. Do ghosts really exist? Are we alone? Is there life after death? It looks like a giant face
3: with a man's face
2: out of the Appalachian Mountains in southwest Virginia, dovetailed on the borders of Kentucky and Tennessee. This is Chasing the Truth. And I'm your host, Sean Graham. Tonight I'm live on TalkstreamLive.com under the Dark Waters Radio Channel in the Paranormal section. Also UPRN 107.7 out of New Orleans. Welcome. Tonight is November 23rd, Saturday. I think it's about four days till Thanksgiving in the United States. Tonight I've got a special guest. He's been on my show once before. I've been on his show or we've been on shows together and love talking to this fellow. Tonight's guest is Steve Stockton, otherwise known on YouTube as Thirteen Past Midnight. Now Steve is I'm just gonna just bring him up. So Steve Stockton, veteran outdoorsman, paranormal researcher, and best selling author of Strange Things in the Woods and more strange things in the woods, is back with a personal memoir of the supernatural and bizarre, My Strange World. Plus, he's got another uh, uh, endeavor with uh, Cisco Murdoch, which he'll talk about. We just uh, did a little blurb about that just before we came on air tonight. And tonight is special because, heck, tonight I'm, I'm doing it all tonight, boys. So, here we go. If you're in the uh, YouTube chat, let me know if you can hear me. And I'm going to introduce Steve here in just a second, uh, just to uh, see if y'all can hear me. I'll let you take it just a minute. But uh, let me go ahead and introduce old Steve, which I just did. Steve Stockton, are you on board? Can I hear you?
3: Yeah, thanks, Sean. What an introduction there. I wish I had a better act for you no I'm just kidding I, I appreciate all that good to be back on with you sean
2: well that's cool um let's see the big thing that i want to know is one hopefully the act is not burlesque
3: <laughs> no not burlesque here
2: all right. so uh steve tell us a little bit about the books and stuff that you've been writing and i know you you, you just got one that uh you kind of co-authored with cisco murdoch
3: Yeah, um, I started out collecting stories from people, really, when I was a kid. Um, I was a late in life, unexpected baby, so anytime I'd go somewhere with my parents to visit their friends, there's always older people, not any kids around, so I'd bug the the older folks to to tell me some tall tales or a ghost story or something they knew that was local or that had happened to them and just sort of got into it that way. And then much later in life, I found out that, hey, I've got enough of these that I can make a book, I think. So I put it together, and not only did I have enough for one book, which was Strange Things in the Woods, and uh, just kind of went with that because the majority of the stories that I would collected were in the woods. I've got some that, that aren't in the woods. That's coming up later. had two volumes of that. The second was More Strange Things in the Woods. And then uh, after those two came out, I got invited on a lot of shows like yours, and the host or the callers would inevitably ask, well, what about you, Steve? Have you had any personal experiences? And I'd tell one or the other because I've had a lot. And I got to thinking about that, you know, and I thought, well, maybe I've got enough to do a, a small book. So uh, that's how My Strange World came about. That's uh, my personal experiences in there. So that's that trio of books. And then recently, uh, Cisco Murdoch and I, she's a uh, Journey Through the Gate Paranormal Portal podcast on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, she, We'd gotten together, we'd been on a show, uh, not at the same time, but uh, Soraya Azkath has a show out at FM in Ithaca, New York called Where'd the Road Go? And I'd been a guest and she'd heard me on there and she got a hold of uh, Soraya, the host, and said, hey, I've got some stories that I'd like to tell. And I I think she went on and did like a listener story thing. And then Sarai's like, you need to talk to this guy, Steve. So uh, immediately, uh, we we exchanged information immediately when we started talking. when I think the first time we talked was like for six hours. It was just swapping tales back and forth, back and forth. And I'm like, Cisco, you really need to write a book because you think about it. And This was kind of the epiphany that I had at my grandmother's funeral. that I was thinking all the tales she had told. You know, they, they died right there with her unless I carried on with them. So I kind of assumed that mammal. And uh, that was one of the impetuses for the book. And so Cisco agreed, and she said, well, I'll do it, but you're going with me. So uh, what we ended up doing, she would tell her story, and then I'd come along behind her and comment an anecdote, something just kind of color commentary, if you will. It turned out really, really well. The name of that is We're All Children in the Wilderness of the Afterlife a guided tour through a haunted life. And uh, that's just came out in paperbacks on Amazon and also in Kindle format.
2: Oh, yeah. The one thing that uh, I found you is I just put Steve Stockton in the Google search uh, tool there. And two things popped up. One, your Amazon profile and then your uh, Facebook profile. And I was like, wow, that's kind of cool. I don't know if you paid anything for that to be so.
3: yeah No. Uh, <laughs> Was for whatever reason Google's got me right, tie, I guess.
2: Oh, that's cool. That's cool. So uh, I hear that you're playing around with the Zombified. You've been on the Zombified quite often in the mornings.
3: Yeah, they. I, I'd gone on there last year. They had a thing on uh, in the horror community called the Creepy Channel Crawl, where they went around to different channels and uh, did like a twenty-four hour thing. One channel would pass it on to another, and everybody would go to that channel. And they had asked me to be their guest on the Creepy Channel call, So I went on live with them and did their hour. And it was like something crazy, like at 5 a.m. on a Saturday morning or something. So one of the, the bottom slots. But it worked out really well. And they asked me to come back. They had they were trying to get some other things going. And asked me to come back three days a week and host a morning show live. So I thought, you know, I've never hosted or live and i thought I'll, I'll give it a try and actually you kind of enjoy it have a good time doing it got uh, another host that comes on with me tanya jones aka unicorps tales on youtube and uh, she's in the uk and we just we have a great time on there we've been covering uh lately we've been doing uh, curses we've had uh cursed films cursed and haunted objects cursed music and songs uh, cursed books, we'll everything we have. Try to mix it up, and do something a little different every day. And right now, uh, we were on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. For now, they've got us on Wednesday, Thursdays, and Fridays. So that can change. Just check on the Zombified channel on YouTube and and see what the schedule's going to be. But really enjoying that.
2: I've been on a, uh, in the uh, chat over there on the Zombified. Not every day, but I've been on there occasionally and it, it's actually a nice community a lot of good people in there that uh, really yeah, does it, work
3: yeah, i see you on there in the mornings a lot and yeah we had they had you on there as a guest one time and then they had me call in and you and i got to swap a couple stories and then there was another time they were doing like a little hot potato thing when the end of my show came in, you were in the the chat, and they asked if you wanted to come in, take the show over, and do the next, I think you did like the next hour or something, so yeah, that's always something interesting going on over there.
2: Okay, so um I've got one question straight from the uh, get-go. Uh Actually, my girlfriend asked, me to ask you this said uh, she was asking me about you and wanted uh, want to know a little bit of history about uh, what's happened he said the first question you need to ask steve is out of all the radio shows that he's been guest on which was the wildest one to his memory
3: uh no probably have to get you to define wildest but one of the the wildest i was on uh the old art bell show before Art passed away, but he was sick at the time, and Heather Wade had assumed the duties there. She was a producer, and I went on live with her for five hours, and uh, we had a really good time on there. And uh, but absolutely, probably the actual wildest, wildest one was the first one I ever did. My first book had just came out, and I had contacted uh, Dave Schrader of uh, darkness radio and and other things he's been on. He's a location scout for ghost adventures and several other things there. And uh I'd message him said, I'd like to be on your show sometime. And he messaged right back. He's like, okay, sure. And I'm like, uh, okay, when you have in mind. And he said, how about in 15 minutes? <laughs> so <laughs> first interview ever, and it was live. It was on his show, which is, not only live there in the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, St. Paul, but it's broadcast out through affiliates, uh, nationally and then internationally, I think. So that was my trial by fire. And I went on and did an hour with him. And thank goodness it's a network show because there's a lot of breaks in there. That, that was the longest hour of my life, I think, Sean, but it was a lot of fun. That, that was wild. Just, you know, seat of the pants. Here we go, you know.
2: Oh, well, the, um, One of the things that before I started doing these crazy uh, radio shows and podcasts and stuff was I used to be part of uh, the medical community, and I I used to give a lot of uh, public talk about uh, sleep medicine, which I'm not going to go into sleep medicine or give you a talk or anything like that, but the first time I actually got in front of a group, I was nervous as a nervous wreck, and then slowly but surely it just left me, so
3: i don't, I don't
2: yeah, know if that was stage fright i'm sure i got had stage fright
3: so yeah it's one of those things i think the more you do it the more you get used to it like even as many shows i've been on stuff the first morning that i was live on design flight i was nervous didn't really know what to do and then with a live show like that i've got a producer in my ear talking to me and i'm supposed to be talking to the people in the chat and keeping everybody engaged. You really got to multitask and you, you probably really understand that tonight since you're producing your own show and doing the engineering.
2: Oh yeah. Well, the, one of the, one of the things is, uh, uh, actually I just found this out when I, uh, messaged you earlier and told you about what was going on with, uh, uh what I was doing today. Uh, mm-hmm. every once in a while, once before I actually did all the engineering that, that failed, uh, for the show. Uh, I couldn't take any calls or anything like that. I think I can take calls tonight, but you know, totally 100% this is running from my end of the thing. Usually, uh, uh DW is running the, uh, backbone stuff and tonight's is, well, Looks like it's running pretty good from what I can see.
3: Yeah. It looks like the chat's going good on YouTube. I'm sitting in there and then I'm also on the chat at darkwaters.com. Everything looks good. Apparently, they can't hear us because I'm not seeing any complaints or anything.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. So, folks, if you are listening to us over on 107.7 FM or if you're on the Paranormal Radio app on the Dark Waters Radio channel, you know, we've got a couple of chat rooms that both the guests, Steve Stockton and myself, are in. Uh, go look for Dark Waters over on YouTube or over on imdarkwaters.com. And, uh, look for the chat room there free to join the chat by the way just to let you know so if you can get over there uh, ask any question. So uh, Don't AFK over on YouTube want to know what are we' be talking about tonight well tonight is uh, my special guest Steve Stockton. He's a paranormal enthusiast and or author writer and uh, he loves to tell stories of all kinds of different things. That's that's the big thing. If you got any questions, please send us a, a message either in one of the chat rooms. Oh, excuse me. Or you can call in. Tonight's uh, number is 931-994-6917. You can definitely call in, and we can uh, field calls that way. So, if yeah, Steve's up to uh, taking live calls.
3: So, oh, absolutely.
1: All
2: right. But I actually do like live. You know, I've done a few last two or three shows. I didn't do it the last time because, uh, or did I take a live call? Last time I told my, uh, just a little piece of my near-death experience last time. so
3: Yeah, I heard that and saw a lot of reactions to that on Facebook. There's a group in there that a uh, friend of mine that's uh, going to University of Tennessee, my alma mater, she's going to nursing school there named Zuri uh, Nicole Willis and uh, she's created a group on facebook kind of around me and, and some of us guys and uh she had just really reacted to that and had reposted it in there and uh, saw saw a lot of good responses to that yeah that's great that's great
2: well it's, it's one there's actually a little sub community on youtube that i just recently found out how i've overlooked it the last four years I don't know, but there's a there's a lot of people out there really interested in near death experiences. But
3: mm-hmm.
2: so, uh, tell me a little bit about uh, your book that you sort of co-authored with uh, Cisco Murdoch. Um, I'm uh, yeah, I just, well, just learned about that today, so I'm I'm really interested in that.
3: Yeah, I'll, I'll make sure you get a copy of that. Um, yeah, like I said, we met through uh, Soraya Asghar, who does uh, Where the Road Go on wvbrfm out of uh, ithaca new york and um just started talking i said she had all these stories and i'm like you need to you need to write a book you need to write these down you know and get them out there so they don't disappear when you're gone and she finally said yeah okay i'll do it but you're coming with me so i agreed and we wrote it together she did the the heavy lifting there. She wrote the majority of it, and I would go along behind her and either tell a similar story or a similar experience that I'd heard from somebody else, or sometimes what she had written was so good, it'd be just more, more like a, okay, yeah, what she said up there, because I didn't want to overshadow or couldn't even compete with what she wrote. There's a chapter in there on Gettysburg that just, I, it could be a book by itself, and... um just kind of went from there and we've got some other projects in the works on that. Uh But right now just came out in paperback. It's, it's a great book. Even if I was involved with it, if you took my parts out, it'd still be a great book. It's just, she's got a lot of stories to tell. She basically has lived most of her life between Alabama and New Jersey. So a lot of tales there from both places Interesting, a lot of uh, Civil War type stuff in Alabama and then Revolutionary War stuff in New Jersey and that area. And then she's done a lot of investigating in uh, Gettysburg and things like that. So
2: so she's been up and down the backbone of Appalachian Mountain chain.
3: Absolutely. And she's just a really good old Southern girl that that's in New Jersey and but a lot of tales, you know how it is. in Appalachia. the, the stories came. You're sitting around the the fireplace or the wood stove in the wintertime, and that's when the tales come out.
2: Well, it doesn't really have to be around the uh, fire stove. Just <laughs> just uh, be at
3: lunch or you know, yeah, or in a car on or the somewhere. front
4: yeah,
3: on just... the front porch in the summertime. It doesn't matter. Just traditionally, that's uh, especially my dad's side of the family. They're from Middle Tennessee or Fentress County and Jamestown in that area, and he said yeah. that's what we did in the wintertime when you couldn't farm or work outside, we'd sit around the wood stove and uh plan their farming for the next year and then swap stories so
2: mm. so what's a good old story that uh comes to mind when when you think about what you went through as a kid?
3: Oh man, wouldn't even know where to start i just I saw my first I'll start at the beginning. Saw my first full-body apparition around five, just almost six years old. Uh, was out in the front yard waiting for the neighbor kid to come home. And we'd only known each other for a few months or something. We lived kind of out in the country. Had a little mini farm, 26 acres. And somebody had moved in. And when I say next door, it was quite a ways away. And uh we kind of piled up. And, uh, I went over to their house, took the, you know, walked out the road and it was a dead end into the lake. So he didn't really have to worry about traffic or anything. So I'm out toddling along the road. His father said he'd gone to the grocery store with his mom. So I go, okay, I go back home. And I'm waiting on him. I'm out in our front yard and we lived quite a ways off the road. He exactly 212 feet because I measured it later on for another no reason. I was about halfway out in the yard just messing around waiting for him to come back, and there's a T intersection there in front of the house, inverted T. So I would be able to see the car, no matter which way they came in. They would have to come down or around one way or the other. So I was standing there, I see a car coming down the hill, I thought it was his mom's car. So I started walking out toward the road to go over to his house. Well, when the car comes to the intersection there and stops at the stop sign, there's a kid Runs out from behind the car. At first, I thought it was my friend, and then I realized that's not my friend. That's a really small kid, like a toddler, like maybe two years old. And it comes out from behind the car. I mean, no doors opened or anything. It comes out from behind the car, runs around in front of the car, and then at kind of a caddy quarter angle, runs down into our yard. And if you've ever seen little kids that have just barely mastered walking, sometimes they'll start running and kind of lose control and just fall. Well, that's what this kid did and about mm, maybe 10 20 feet into our yard fell and just absolutely vanished. I didn't take my eyes off the spot. I went straight to it. There was nothing there. There was no place, a hole or anything that a kid could fall into and the person in the car didn't even acknowledge it. They didn't they didn't see what I saw apparently. No clue what that was, but that was my start on the road to paranormal exploration because i just you know even at that age i realized well that's not supposed to happen little kids don't you know appear from behind a car run across the road into the yard and fall down and disappear it didn't scare me but it it just made me curious and said that that started a, a lifetime search for answers but and Cisco and I talked about this, it's one of those things there aren't really any answers. It's the longer you look into it and the more you look into it, the more questions you have. And I think that's part of the fun and the enjoyment in it is just learning what you don't know. And uh, we've likened it to a paranormal onion. You peel off one layer, there's another one under there waiting for you.
2: Well, I, I tend to agree with you. My, actually, my one of my first really interesting uh dips in the paranormal realm wasn't a story that happened to me it was actually a story my dad told me when i was a little kid uh he said that uh, both uh, both my uh, both participants of this story are both past my uncle and my dad my dad said he was coming home from school i believe and my uncle uh russell he was notorious to be uh kind of mischievous and apparently my dad saw my Uncle Russell up on the hill throwing something at him. And dad was going to run home and tell my grandmother uh, on my uncle. And then uh, they had some words. I think he, he started uh, fussing and cussing at my uncle that he thought was on the side of that hill. And he ran home to find my uncle in bed asleep after school. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I could have sworn he was up there. And I, that was one of my first real kind of uh, dips into, well, I didn't see it, but I heard a good good paranormal story. You know, my grandmother mm-hmm. was uh, fantastic about telling ghost stories. So that was the bad uh, yeah, That was the bad thing and the good thing about growing up, you know, you get your uh, wits scared out of you and then say, hey, <laughs> go to bed, kids.
3: Yep, absolutely, and I think sometimes that was kind of the whole point was to tell you something just to scare the daylights out of you, so you would shut up and lay down. That's what my dad said anyway, and uh, the told the uh, legend of Spearfinger Cherokee tale there. I've got a really good video that on my channel, thirteen past midnight, there on YouTube, uh narrated by Kenny Dreadful of Dizomified and in that I talk about. I asked my dad, like, why did people tell their kids such scary stories? And he said, basically, that's, you know, to get you to shut up and lay down. You know, life on the farm starts early, well before daylight. And if kids are up giggling and running around all night, you'll have a problem when time for work comes. So, yeah, they scare the daylights out of you and send you to bed, and then you're too scared to do anything to go to sleep.
2: Mm. <laughs> so a lot of your – uh, uh stories that you've told in your books are they personal stories or are they you know uh, a mix match of stuff that you've come across
3: uh the the first two books strange things in the woods and more strange things in the woods those are from other people exclusively those are ones i've collected and they're in the woods in particular because i found that a lot of these tales that i'd heard or collected happened in the woods so i kind of went with that theme for that book and then had enough to do two books for it and then the, the third book my strange world those are all my personal experiences I've had a lot of those not not quite as many as' in the other books but uh all interesting stories of just creepy crazy things that have happened to me and it, it never stops I mean things I saw a shadow person in my house the other night I had gotten up and had gone outside for something I came back in my dog was with me and I see shadow move across the kitchen, and when I come in my front door, I can see into the dining room and just into the edge of the kitchen there, like the edge of the counter and the refrigerator, I saw something move, a shadow move through there. And uh, I've got an aluminum baseball bat that I keep inside by the door for usually stuff outside, and I thought, there's somebody in my house. I picked up the bat, and the dog is even, he's not ground or anything, but he's standing there with his ears up looking in the kitchen. I'm thinking, okay, there's somebody in here. Walk into the kitchen, bat ready, nothing there, no place anything could hide or just it is what it is, I guess, sometimes. But my answer to that was turn out the lights in there and then you can't see the shadow. So <laughs>
2: <laughs> Okay, I got a, a quick uh well, I guess a quick question. Uh this is just a generalization. You know, you see all these different uh, radio shows and, and uh TV shows about uh, hauntings and whatnot. Usually, you see a lot of um, uh, comments, or yeah, comments about the environment gets cold, or a strange smell happens. Have you ever come across that when you come across a paranormal event?
3: Uh, Yeah, several times, uh, especially the cold spots. Uh, There was a a house I lived in in Las Vegas that was very actively haunted, and uh, there would be just like a column of cold air sometimes. Uh, Most of the time it was in the hallway, one of the hallways going toward the the back bedrooms. And there was one time when I was standing there and I felt it pass through me instead of passing through it. And that was a unique experience. But, yeah, I've had the smells. There was another house here in Portland that I lived in that was built in 1895. And I would smell um, some type of woman's perfume a lot of times. Or I would smell something baking when there was nothing baking. And then I would also smell cigar smoke when none of those things were around. And just just hints of it. And wasn't close enough, you know, to the neighbors for anything like that to be drifting, especially perfume or something like that. But it smelled like, uh, to kind of say it not so delicately, it smelled like an old lady's perfume, like you know, white shoulders or something like that. that my grandma or one of my aunts would have worn or something like that. It wasn't a modern scent at all.
2: Mm, I've I've actually come across that, especially in this old house. I've come across the smell of perfume, uh, you know, old ladies' perfume you just described, or cigarette smoke, which nobody up until lately has been in this house that smoked in quite a number of years. So I'd I'd walk through and go, okay, where'd that smoke come from?
3: (laughs) Yeah. I've had people try to explain that way. Well, if somebody used to live there that smoked or wore that perfume, maybe it's, it's in the wood. You know, had Douglas fir floors, but nice. If it was in Mm -hmm. the, the floor, in the walls or something, I think you would smell it all the time. And like that.
2: Yeah. Well, it would be, it wouldn't be, uh, throughout the house, it would be just at a particular point in, in the house. One area, yeah. So I don't buy space. that
3: explanation. Well, no. Now, not everything's paranormal, but some things are paranormal, I think. I mean, that's the first approach I take. I'll look for a, a natural or scientific explanation for things. But sometimes there's just there's not one. And I think a lot of people will convince themselves that, oh, it's just the house settling or the pipes you know rattling or whatever but when it's footsteps coming up the stairs out of the basement <laughs> that's not the pipes that's not the house that was another experience i had a house i lived in in oak ridge tennessee for a while and that happened regularly maybe once a week or so uh the way it was you came through the sliding glass doors into the the back of the house and once you walked in you're in the kitchen dining room you could go to the right and there was a door that led down to the basement. And that was the only way in or out of there. There was a tiny little window up in one corner, but it, it, uh, even a child couldn't have fit through that window. And at that time I had my computer set up in there. And uh, it was always when I was the only one up and always late at night, but I would hear somebody walking up those wooden steps and they would get right to the door and then nothing. And at one time the doorknob even rattled a little bit, and I thought there was really somebody down there that time. That was one of the first times it happened. And I had a length of uh, pipe there that I used to lock the sliding glass door with at night, you know, put that in the track. So I grabbed the pipe and flung the door open to absolute nothingness. So. Hmm. It's what it is. I have no idea, but that, that house was strange too. We would hear things there. The other people that lived there with me, uh, occasionally we would hear something that sounded like the sliding glass door had fell out of the track and hit the ground and shattered. I mean, you could hear it all over the house it was just a huge something glass heavy break and couldn't find anything. Uh, there was a noise in the shower, sometimes like, if you have, if you kind of compress a, a plastic grocery bag and then you put it down, how it kind of unfolds itself and it makes that uncrinkling noise. Would hear that in the shower. It sounded like it started near the ceiling, and you could hear it go all the way down into the tub. yank the curtain back, nothing there. So I don't know. That was that was just a strange house.
2: So have you? Uh, well, we just. Touched on this earlier, right before we came on the uh, radio here. Um, have you seen or heard of anybody that has a repeating ghost or or a haunting that that uh, tag uh, tells them you know follows from one spot to the other, like from one house to the other, or any of that kind of interesting story?
3: I have heard of that where it's it seems to be the person that's haunted, not necessarily the location. And they'll they'll move from one place to another. Uh, real interesting recent case that I, I know about that is uh, a guy named Keith Lindell who's written a book called uh, The Bothell Hell House. Bothell's a community just outside Seattle here in the Pacific Northwest, and it's just a fascinating story. I mean, we could talk all night about it. But uh, basically, he moved into this house with his wife, and they started experiencing some sort of demonic activity a lot of poltergeist type activity but it was writing on the walls and stuff with with what looked like charcoal and they even had some of the material that it was leaving behind analyzed and it was it was something organic it wasn't anything that they had or would have had access to even and uh, I've heard that that's happened to him, that since he's moved out of that house, it uh, destroyed the marriage. She went one way, he went another. And then I've heard, I haven't talked to him since, since Cisco and I had him on uh, her podcast one time. But it, it supposedly followed him to where he went. So don't know if it's a demon or just some kind of attachment or, again, a poltergeist. Or there's a lot of paranormal explanations, even there's not just one explanation of the paranormal.
2: Oh, You just reminded me of a bunch of stories. But I've got one question from the chat over on YouTube from Kat Ward. Uh, She says, what is the creepiest things he's ever encountered or heard of?
3: Oh, Hey there, Kat. I've been on Kat's show before. We've been on some shows together. She's she's a great lady with a lot of interesting stories to tell. Probably the scariest encounter that I've ever had personally. There's been a couple, but... uh, uh, one, I think, is a little scarier than the other. I've got a story on my YouTube channel called The Thing in the Ditch. And that was uh, a thing that happened to me when I was a kid. I was up in the woods playing. just I was just out of sight of the house. Like I so said, we had 26 acres, so you could be out in the woods and be within shouting distance of the house. And there was an old uh, ditch there. I found out later that that had been the original dirt road through that area dating back – pre-Civil War, probably back to Revolutionary War area. And I was just at the crest of this little hill looking down into that ditch that had been the road maybe seven or eight feet down to the bottom of it. And as I turned to walk away, I hear something in the leaves. It was in the, the fall of the year. I hear something coming up out of the ditch. So I turned around and looked. Whatever it is came out of the ditch, over the top of that little rise, and was headed straight for me, but I couldn't see a thing other than the leaves being disturbed like somebody was running and kind of kicking up leaves with their feet and i was eight years old scared the absolute daylights out of me it took off down the hill screaming and i was Mm -hmm. making such a commotion that my mom was out on the back porch waiting for me (laughs) to find out what was the matter i ran past her and on in the house i'm like whatever it is you can deal with it Mm -hmm. and uh Later that day, when my dad got home from work, my brother came over, they went up there and looked around. They could see where something had been through there. It looked bipedal, you know, there was two feet making whatever it was, but they had no idea and tried to you know was it a dog was them you know, no, I didn't see anything other than the leaves moving. What it was it was big just because of the the leaves kicking up in its wake, and it wasn't any kind of burrowing animal or something like that. Well, it could have been a mole or a shrew. And, No, not not making this kind of commotion. And then, so I stayed away from up there for the most part. The the friend, the one that I talked about in the original story there that I was waiting to come home, I would uh, kind of bribe him to go up there. You go walk around the edge of the ditch, I'm going to stay down here behind the tree and watch, but it wouldn't go after him. Kind of reminds me of old, uh, remember Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom? Marlon Perkins, would. say I'll stay here by the Jeep while Stan goes and, and tickles the bear. You know, one of those deals. But um, never, never bothered him. And finally, I just kind of forgot about it. And then about seven years later, we moved from there when I was right around 15. And I just, I knew, you know, that that was going to be the end of all my adventures in the woods and things. I was just kind of out walking around having a look around the place because we were getting ready to move. Uh, up the road a little bit into a subdivision, had a new house built. And I I walked up there and I thought, I wonder what that was that scared me when I was a kid in this ditch. And almost exactly same circumstances, I walked up, I looked down in the ditch, I turned to walk away, and I heard that same noise. And after seven years, it was familiar. Turned around, looked, here comes something out of the ditch, can't see it. There's the leaves flying up. I took off down the hill again, didn't scream this time, but uh, made a quick getaway. And that was the last time I've been up there. And and after that, we moved away, don't know what it was. But an interesting side note to that, uh, years later, I was at a party in uh, Cedar Bluff area of Knoxville, I didn't really know anybody there. The guy that I worked with had invited me to it after work. We worked up just up the road. And I didn't really know him that well, even from work. So I was at this party, sitting around a bunch of people there, didn't really know anybody. And some of the girls had found a Ouija board under the couch of whoever owned the place and was hosting the party. And they got it out. were playing with it. And they were going around the room uh, asking different people questions. They got to me. Said I've never seen these people before. Didn't know anything about them. And they said, oh, "What's your question?" You know, for the the amazing oracle here. What do they call it? And I said, "Okay, what scared me when I was a kid?" Just left it at that. No explanation. No nothing beyond that. The Ouija board spells out W A T E R S P R I T E. Water sprite. Didn't really mean anything to me. Didn't mean anything to them. They're like, "What is this? Is it wanting a drink or something? Is it thirsty?" Now, this was in the days before the internet. So the next day, I went to the the library there. No Ridge, went to the lef- reference librarian and asked her what she could find me about a water sprite. And she went through some some books on uh, the fae and elementals and things like that and found out that there's uh, and I always get these confused. It's either a naiad or a dryad one is a, a spirit of the water and the other is a spirit of the woods and it's this mythical being elemental being that uh guards certain areas and the odd thing about that especially since it said water sprite that property was unique in the fact that it had seven natural springs on it that all flowed into one which flowed into the lake that was about 2 or 300 yards away so What better place for a water spirit, I guess, than where there's seven springs coming out of hillsides, you know, and into one. But I don't know. Is that an explanation or not? That was what I got from the Ouija board from somebody that didn't know me or didn't know that story.
2: So was there a particular uh, tie to like an Indian burrow ground or Indian holy ground or anything like that?
3: To Not correctly. that I'm aware of, but that whole area there, especially when you went across the, the main branch there, we had a little footbridge, and uh, we'd kept that spot cleared off down there. And in the bottoms, that was our garden spot. But it just it didn't feel right down there. When you crossed the water into that area, and uh, we would found some things there. We had an old tree that had been struck by lightning and died, and uh, we were burning what was left of it one time. And we found part of a Civil War bayonet that had been broken off in the tree. And we regularly used to find um, mini balls, Civil War bullets and things down there. And kind of think there was probably some battle there because where it was in proximity to the road, the dirt road that would have went through there at times, kind of down the hill, and here's a, a clean water source. And at that time, there was a lake there. It all flowed into the Clinch River and then in... I think 1964, Tennessee Valley Authority dammed up the Clinch River and made Milton Hill Lake there. So a lot of the stuff that used to be in that area has been underwater for 50-something years. But that was the only thing that I thought of. Maybe there had been some kind of battle there. And the other thing, there was a story of a buried treasure near there somewhere. And we had a guy show up just out of the blue from California one time that had heard about it and wanted to look on our property. I don't know where he found his research or how he knew about it, but he had a, a thing called a Spanish dipping needle. It's kind of a, a pendulum type device of pendulum dousing thing. Hmm. And he looked around and he got a strong pull, kind of in the direction where all this had happened. And he'd done that from the edge of the road. so. 200 feet there to the house, and then another probably 100, 200 feet back in the woods. He felt something pull from at least 500 feet away, but never did find anything. But there was a lot of big rocks and stuff there, and I even had a dream one time when I was a kid that I was in the water, and I looked up under the bank, and there was gold coins under there, and I actually went down there to check. I was probably 10 when that happened, but where it was, you couldn't have looked up under there unless you laid down in the water, and that water was cold. And so don't know And that, but that would kind of make sense if the spirit was guarding a treasure, you know, it kind of goes back to the old tales of the pirates, how uh, sometimes, you know, they would even kill one of their crewmates. So the the dead man's spirit would guard the, the treasure there to keep people away from it. And there was another guy locally there that was something of a treasure hunter named Charlie. And I talk about him in the first book And he said that just about any type of buried treasure or anything like that, anything hidden, it's going to have some kind of supernatural element to it. And he told a story one time. He dug a strong box out of the side of a hill and an old tractor, rusty tractor that covered in weeds, sitting down in the field from where he was at, fired up, ran for just a few seconds and then shut down. And this thing had been sitting there for years, he said. But all of a sudden, it came to life and then stopped at the instant that he had pull this uh, money chest out of the side of a hill. Mm-hmm. So.
2: <laughs> so, uh, one of the core questions that was in the back of my mind when I was uh, thinking about what to actually talk to you about, which I knew we, were, we wouldn't have any problem come up with uh, subject matter. But, uh, <laughs> um, so, you have you come across dousing rods or, you know, any other kind of divining, uh, implementation that uh has piqued your interest or have you ever
3: used one i i've used them before uh i had a, a set that was custom made for me by a person that was a very talented dowser and taught dowsing and uh, mine were um copper hand holes with uh, brass rods and they're very sensitive and a lot of people kind of poo-pooed that whole thing but my dad could do the same thing with a, a willow branch. He could find not only water, but I've, I've seen him locate uh, pipe, underground pipe and things like that with it. And I've seen where they've done these field tests where they've buried stuff and people, for the most part, couldn't find it. But I know, I mean, we have found a water main that way one time. And he was talking about another time on the job, uh, they were trying to find, locate a hidden pipe. And he did it with two bent pieces of coat hanger. So I don't think it's so much the rods, but the person using them and and what they imbue to it. And uh, Cisco, I think we were talking about there, she makes uh, pendulums, uh, crystal pendulums for pendulum dowsing. And she sent me one, and I've worked with it a little bit. I'm just still kind of learning all that. I'm using it for map dowsing, Mm -hmm. but uh, I was using it kind of in a – to help locate missing persons or or bodies, as it were – and uh, I've had some hits that were pretty close to where people were found eventually in a, a missing, like, a, not only a search rescue, but more of a search and recovery type operation. So I'm not, not good enough yet that I can call up and say, hey, it's here. But don't know that I'd really want to because I had a friend that was uh, somewhat psychic, and she'd had some dreams about it. Um, a murder and where a body was. She told the cops about it, and sure enough, they found a body there. And they took her in and questioned her for twelve hours. And even though she lived in another state, they're like, "Well, you told us how to find this body, so you obviously have knowledge of this crime." So, hmm. <laughs> interesting to think about.
2: Well, I, you know, I've I've actually seen dousing uh, once. That actually worked, and it was actually digging a well at a property that we lived um, lived on for quite a while. And uh, this guy comes in and did the same exact thing that you said, grabbed a hold of some willow branches, uh, and about 20 minutes later, you know, he marked X,
3: and sure enough, there was water right there. I'm like, wow, I yeah. never
2: even thought I, about that.
3: Don't so, know what it is about the willow that seems to work, but that was my dad's preferred. Method, uh, just a, a forked piece of willow there. And I've seen it, and there's a certain way you have to hold it, but I've seen it point so hard toward the ground that it would literally twirl the bark off itself in his hands because he's holding it tight and it would try so hard to dip down that the, it would spin the bark off the pieces he was holding wow. on to. Mm.
2: So, what other uh, kind of. Um... Interesting paranormal paraphernalia. Have you come across? You mentioned uh, Ouija board earlier. Uh, I'm not a fan of Ouija boards, and I don't want to touch any of those just because of you know the creepiness. I've I've come to learn about them.
3: Yeah, uh, it's one of those things. I had an early introduction to it. Um, now, my mom's side of the family—that's kind of where I get a lot of the, the weird stuff from. They were part of the spiritualism movement back around the turn of the last century and they regularly held seances and table tappings and my grandmother was a, a self professed gypsy witch. She told fortunes and read uh tea leaves and coffee grounds and studied animal entrails and <laughs> things like that. They um excuse me, they had their own uh livestock and uh pigs and, and cows and things and when it came time in the fall to slaughter hogs, she would pick out one and say, let me know when you slaughter that one. And when they did, and once the animal was opened up, she would study the insides of it. And I don't know what you look for or how you tell. But according to her, she could do that and tell you how the the crops are going to be the next growing season. And they were successful at farming, so uh, uh she must she have known what she was doing. Else? She tried to pass it to me. I was her favorite, as she called me. Uh I was born with a call over my face. And all that means is part of the amniotic sac was so stretched over my head, the membrane, when I was born. But to her, that was magic. A kid born with the, the call or the afterbirth over its face, supposed to have all kinds of wild talents and um second sight and all this stuff. And she was there with my mom when I was born. And, uh, my mom was the only girl, had nine brothers. And, uh, so for some reason my grandma decided to, I guess I was the only kid out of all those kids because there was a lot. Of, I had a lot of cousins, but I was the only one born with a call over my face. So she would try to get me alone and tell me all these things and, and she'd bribe me with a, a chocolate bar or a, sometimes a dollar bill or something to, to be quiet, you know, not to talk to the other cousins because they wouldn't understand. There were some that lived just, you know, next door to her, uh, that were around my age. And she not don't tell anybody about this. You know, here's here's a chocolate bar, be quiet. But uh, at that time when I was real little, I was scared of her because she knew stuff, you know. it's like uh, one time, <clears throat> excuse me, we were on the way to her house and there was an area that we had to pass through where um, unfortunately a child who years before had ran out in the road, chasing a ball and been struck and killed by an automobile. And I would feel that place. I could be laying down in the back seat, reading a comic book. And when we drove through there, I could feel something there in that spot. I'd know when we went through there in that particular night, I was sitting up and when we passed through that spot. I was thinking about that, the kid that had died and everything. When we get to our house, we had just got there and, um, She'd take me into her sewing room, usually when we first got there, and try to give me some little lesson. Yeah, Tanya's shot down, Granny Bessie. That was her name, Bessie. And um, this particular night, she's like, um, You feel things, don't you? And I'm like, Well, yeah, you know, if you pinch me, it hurts or whatever. And she's like, No, she said, You feel things, like that spot in the road on the way here tonight. I hadn't said a word to my parents, I hadn't said a word to her. And we I hadn't been in her house five minutes, and she's telling me something that happened on the way to her house, <laughs> and you know, it's like the, all the hairs stood up, if I had any hair at the time, the goose flesh, if not, but I was just a little kid, but you know, the hair on the back of my neck just, but yeah, that would, would scare the crap out of me. She passed away when I was 13. I was in the room with her when she died. That was the first person I was ever with when they died. And I felt her spirit leave her body. I don't know how to describe it any other way than that. But there was, it was almost like being in a vacuum or something. It was like everything just sort of ceased to exist. Felt her spirit leave, and then like all the sound and color and everything came back. It was Mm. a very very unusual experience.
4: Mm.
3: But yeah, that that was that was Granny Bessie and her like folk and witchy ways. And long story here, but that's coming back into said they were they used the Ouija board, they used pendulums and and things like that. And my first introduction when I was a kid, uh I was sick that day, had the croup or something. My mom had taken me to the doctor. We'd stopped a little shopping center there in Oak Ridge to get some medicine. We'd went into Walgreens, or not Walgreens, Woolworths, which was next door to Walgreens, and I saw a Ouija board on the shelf. And it was the the old style uh, box from the sixties. It has like a, a black background with stars and it had a, a hooded figure kind of in a blue cloak. You couldn't see the face or anything. And I'm like, I was just drawn to I'm Like, Oh, what's that? And my mom's like, oh, that's, that's a Ouija board. And kind of explained it to me. Like, I want it. I want it. I want it. I'm like five, six years old. So she bought it for me. And I, I remember sitting in the back seat with the box on my lap thinking, you know, this is going to be great. This is going to be a lot of fun. And, uh, we got home with it. She explained it to me some more. And then later that day, I was like, mom, play Ouija with me. It was it a was game to me because it was made by was either Milton Bradley or Parker Brothers. I can't remember who had the, the patent from William Fold at that time, but it was just like a board game. You know, let's, let's play Ouija. So we got it out. We're sitting there in the kitchen chairs, knees touching and got the board there and, uh, my first question ever to Ouija board is, is it going to snow tomorrow? there was, it was winter time and I wanted snow to come so I could miss some more school because I'd already been out sick for a couple of days. And there was just a little chance in the forecast, but the Ouija board said, yes, it's going to snow. And, uh, sure enough, it did. Came a big one that unexpected a low move south of us there for the, the, the Gulf Stream or the the uh, airstream comes through the south there. Anytime the low moves south in the winter time, it's got moisture in it, it's going to snow. And it did, stalled out, came a big snow. I thought, okay, well, Ouija was right. And then not too long after that, there was, um, the holidays were coming up, and Christmas was coming. And there had been an album of Christmas music that I absolutely adored in kindergarten. They would play it for us in class. And it was an older record, probably from the '50s or something. And uh, I just, I was kind of an Aspie when I was a kid. I would, you know, some concentrate on something, then that's all I could think about. And I was obsessed with finding this album, so I, I got my mom to play Ouija with me again, and I asked the Ouija board, "Where can I get that Christmas record?" And sure enough, it spelled out the name of a, a fairly obscure little record store there on a. It was in downtown Knoxville on Market Square. And uh, I'm like, no, Mom, call, call, call. You got to call. So she looked up the number in the book. The place did exist. Uh, she called it. And uh, the, the guy, they, they specialized in used records. It was just a little place, though. And he's like, okay. And took the name down of the album. Said, I'll, I'll give you a call back. And I thought, yeah, okay, that's it. You know, I'll never hear anything back. But sure enough, a couple hours later, the phone rings. And it was a long-distance call at that time uh, in East Tennessee. It was long-distance to call Knoxville from Oak Ridge. Sure enough, the phone rings. The guy from the record store is on the phone. He had found the album in these uh, probably thousands of albums there. He would poked around in there and actually found a copy of it. And sure enough, a few days later, uh, I think it was on a Saturday, my mom and I went downtown Knoxville, and I returned with that Christmas album on my lap. The Ouija had told me where to find it. So I don't know. I mean, some people have good experiences with it. Some people have bad. I think it can be your intent. It's like a tool, uh, like a, a pistol. You know, you can you can protect yourself. You can hunt with it or you can do something bad with it. But the gun itself is not what's bad. It's the person holding it. And I think it kind of can work that way for Ouija or anything like that. It depends on your intent, what's in your heart or in your spirit but I've, I've seen it go wrong too i've seen people that uh, become obsessed with it and couldn't get away from it couldn't put it down we can it for every little thing i know people that do that with astrology too so it can be a good thing it can do a bad thing but i'm very careful around them now because of other stuff i've experienced i've got a
2: uh, uh, intriguing question which is obvious to me so if you're using a Ouija board and you reach out and something's talking back at you and how do you know what's talking to you?
3: Well, that's just it. That's part of the, uh, the mystery. I guess you really don't. I mean, it's it's, is, is it's a ghost. Is it a familiar spirit? Uh, I knew some people that, uh, had something come through a Ouija board and contact them and claimed to be a guy that it had, uh, a traumatic brain injury and was in a coma in a hospital. But the rub was, he didn't know where he was at and wasn't sure what his name was because of the, the brain injury. So is it something like that, you know, where that type of energy could come through or was that, as some people tell you, oh, well, that was a, a demon, that was a familiar spirit, that was something just trying to trick you, but was it, who knows, you know, it's mm-hmm. <laughs> know. interesting to think about. what What's your opinion though? You said you, you didn't care for them. Have you had a bad experience with it? Or...
2: Well, um, let's see. I guess, I guess I can tell this. My mother played with a, a Ouija board when I was a, a youth. And I don't recall it, but I recall her telling the story about it that uh, she called... Uh, she got a hold of... Some, I, I used to know, I remember the name of... It was a African boy, and knew the name, and she said that, uh, that uh, things happened after uh, the fact of her contacting through this Ouija board, so I don't know how she contacted it other than there was Ouija board involved, but it scared the living uh, daylights out of her. Right? <laughs> yeah. But uh, I've come across so many other people that, you know, especially since I've got into this paranormal podcast radio show. Mm-hmm. That, uh, you know, there are some people out there that enjoys, uh, Ouija boards. I know one lady that, uh, uh, uh I know from Twitter that actually makes the things and mm-hmm. cars them out and whatnot. So, you know, I don't begrudge anybody that, um, uh, uses them. You know, I just, I just don't want anything like that in my life for uh, various reasons, but maybe it's just, uh, me knowing from my near death experience. Yeah. yeah, what's out
3: there? I, I think like anything, it's it's a personal thing, you know. And that's always that's kind of the way I was raised. If it bothers you, don't mess with it. Put it away. Don't don't fool with it. So, but then later in life, my mom, uh, I don't think she would have touched a Ouija board for love and her money. They had kind of a a change over there and kind of got rid of their what they call their heathen ways. One of my mom's brothers became a pastor of a church. And kind of converted everybody and got them away from the seances and the table tapping and then my brother later on was a, became a pastor, so that that kind of put uh, the quietus on uh, some of that stuff to use an appalachian words Have you ever heard that some yeah. put the quietus on you oh yeah
2: <laughs> so um the, in the chat over on uh, YouTube, in the Dark Waters uh, chat, was got a lot of chat going up there. They're talking about, uh, specifically from Cousinette, uh, thanks for hopping aboard there, talking about uh, uh, premonition dreams, being able to tell mm-hmm. the future. Have you come across people like that, or do you experience that yourself?
3: Oh uh, Yeah, I had a, a dream of, or um, a video about that on my channel recently, uh, back in October, called Dreaming of the Dead where I talked about an experience I had where it's kind of one of those waking dreams where you know you're dreaming, but you're not quite awake. Or I know that makes no sense, but I was dreaming, and I knew that I was dreaming. And uh I was in a place that was dark, and I could hear people kind of murmuring, like low, low talk. And then I could smell flowers. I could hear music, and I thought, you know, suddenly, like, uh, I'm in a coffin in a funeral home, and then I realized, no, I'm not in the coffin, but I'm in the funeral home. And I thought, well, somebody has died. And the phone rang and woke me up out of that very thought. And it was uh, my mom answered the phone. I was probably late teens, early 20s or something at that time. I was still living. She answered the phone. And it was, sure enough, somebody calling to say that my uh, one of my mom's brother's kids, one of my uncle's kids, had died in a house fire. But I mean, I am dreaming of a funeral home. I'm thinking somebody's died. Get the call. But the weird thing about it was, unfortunately, the, the kid had already been dead for several days before they found him. And I, I used to, you know, agonize over that. Why would you dream about something if you couldn't do anything about it? And uh, another one that I've I've told on on Cisco's show, uh, and I've talked about it on other shows. I had like a one of these dreams where I had just laid down and just. It, it just hit the pillow and all of a sudden I was dreaming and I saw a construction site somewhere. And I know it was in the south because there was, uh, that red, red mud, that red clay mud that you have in, in Tennessee and Georgia, just about anywhere you go. It's either shale or mud, depending on where you're at all over the place. And I was on this construction site, saw people running around their hard hats and their boots and their flannel shirts and stuff. And off to one side, there was a, a pyramid of concrete pipe. And I thought, man, that needs to be secured. That's dangerous. And about the time I thought that in the dream, the pyramid collapses. And I observed this concrete pipe probably stood about mm, two and a half, three feet high, big. Roll over this guy. That was the most vivid image like that in a dream I've ever had. I saw the guy. I mean, he was pulped like a grape. I saw it after it rolled over him and just mashed him. And then it took off down the hill and ended up resting against a piece of construction machinery and I just sat up in bed and I was like panting and sweating and my girlfriend at the time was like are you okay since we look like you've seen a ghost And and I actually said worse than that I've just seen somebody become one and that was another one of those that you know you try to think well where is it where did it happen you know I know it's in the south I could see pine trees I saw the red mud the red clay but no idea. It could be anywhere. It could have be been any construction site in Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, parts of Kentucky, uh, maybe even over in the Carolinas. And about two weeks later, I saw a thing in the newspaper there in Oak Ridge where I believe it lives in Kingston. Uh, that thing exactly as I dreamed it had happened on a construction site, a pair of, or a pyramid of pipes had broken free. One rolled over a guy and crushed him to death. And I would think, why would I dream something like that? Why would I have that? It was almost like a vision because it just happened so fast, you know, and I I didn't even have time to fall asleep, really. But why would I see something like that if I had no way to prevent it or to warn anybody or have enough, you know, foreknowledge in there to, because there was nothing, I didn't see a construction sign or a truck with the name of the subcontractor or anything like that on it. There was no way to figure out where it was and i'd mentioned something like that to my grandma one time and she said well that's that's part of of what you have and the ability you have there that sometimes you're going to know things and you can't do anything about it and that's just the universe or whatever's out there letting you know that you know yeah you're you're tuned in and sometimes you'll you'll know about things but there's some things you can't change that that's just the way they're going to happen that's the way they're supposed to happen for whatever reason good or bad Mm-hmm. So, so that was her explanation one of the
2: things that has intrigued me which I've I've come across a couple of people tell me about these stories personally Personally, uh, calls from the dead like uh, wind up picking up the phone and a close friend or a close neighbor or somebody that's related to you passed away but you're unbeknownst to it and that person that's Passed away on the phone with you, or left you a voicemail. Mm-hmm. You come across stories like that.
3: I've I've heard of stories like that. Now, fortunately or unfortunately, however you want to look at it, that's what I've never experienced. But I've heard of uh, cases like that. There was one where um, a guy had been killed in a train crash, an Amtrak crash, and uh, his cell phone kept calling his home until about the time the body was found, but when they did find the phone, it had been destroyed. There was no way it was able to make a call or send a call or anything, but I think it called like 17 times or something crazy like that, just over and over and over. Now, granted, you know, that could have been whatever was left of the phone, which supposedly wasn't, I mean, it was in pieces, but I could see something like that maybe happening, but I've heard of, of other instances like that where like you said, where they got a call from somebody and, hey, how you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Oh, I'm feeling better, on and on. And then they find out later that the person had been dead for like a week when they got the phone call, or something like that. You know? So there's those stories are out there, and they're, they're creepy. Hmm.
2: So the <clears throat> these dreams things, that's a, one of the things that uh, I got into, well, I started out as a respiratory therapist, but I got into sleep medicine, just because of all the crazy dreams I've heard of and had that came true, these premonition dreams. Um, so, do you think we're on some, you know, the folks that have these are on some sort of weird frequency, or is it a God-given gift, or all of the above?
3: I I think it can be all of the above. Uh, I've known people that were disturbed by it, but then they were very religious, had deep religious convictions, and they would pray. You know, God, if this is not from you, take it away from me, and it would get stronger. So, you know, is is that your answer? That's the answer they got. But again, why would you know something that you couldn't change or couldn't prevent? What would be the point? I I don't get it myself, other than than like my grandma said, it's just, you know, kind of the universe's way of saying, you know, sometimes you'll know things and you can change them, and then other times you'll know things and you can't do anything about it.
2: Because that's just the way it is. Hmm, all right. Well, uh, let's give uh, give out the number I, again. I just put it up right before we really got started. If you guys want to ask Steve Stockton a question or ask me a question or just tell a story or whatever, you can reach out to us at 931-944-6917.
3: And I see uh, Unicorp's tales. Tanya, she's uh, the other half of Team Thirteen. We're the ones that host the morning show together. She's my creative partner in a lot of endeavors. She said that her uh, nana, who recently passed away, she used to get calls from her uncle after he passed away. So, love to hear that story. I wish you could call in, Tanya. She's in the Manchester, UK, though, and I don't think she has Skype, so she wouldn't be able to join us.
2: Well, let me get. I'd love to hear that story. Let me get that number out one more time. I may have two different numbers it's uh 931-994-6917 I think I may have put too many fours in the one before 931-994-6917 or if you got skype you can reach out to me uh chasing the truth 2018 chasing the truth 2018 uh, should be lit up green and have the current date and looking for stories on the uh skype end If you want to reach out like that, but uh, tonight uh, we're about a heck we are hour and about ten minutes into this uh, uh, crazy uh, (laughs) thing that we're
3: doing here with Steve Stockton. Uh, Time Uh, flies when you're having fun. Uh, one other thing you'd ask. Oh, go ahead.
2: No, go. No, go ahead.
3: You go. Oh, one other thing you'd ask me about some of the wildest things, the wildest uh, shows that I've ever been on, and I've mentioned you know things where. I had a wild time, like, going live with 15 minutes to prepare for my first ever interview. But uh, I've also been on shows, and Cisco can attest to this. We've been on some together where things would happen to people in the audience while we were on. We've had computer stuff go haywire. I had one guy uh message me or email me that he was listening to me live on uh, with Sarai on Where'd the Road Go?, and all the paintings in his living room fell off the wall at the same time. Uh, I had another lady said that she was sitting to listen, I think it was a playback of a show I'd been on, and uh a glass bowl full of wax fruit on her coffee table just she said it, it like it exploded, it just shattered. So sometimes strange things happen, especially if you get Cisco and I together on a show. Uh no telling what have we, we were on with Soraya one time and his computer fouled out and he like lost control of everything, but he just let it run instead of shutting it down because it was still recording. And I think we talked for what, Cisco? You can answer me in the chat here. I think we talked for about two or three hours before we figured out that, hey, where'd Soraya go? Did he fall asleep? What's going on? And then we eventually just hung up and he'd recorded the whole thing, just let us run there with it. So. <laughs> hmm.
2: Uh, let's see. There was a question on my mind that uh, just totally slipped my head for whatever reason. Uh, I don't know. For, well, anyway, uh, Cisco. Actually, I can't remember if I've been on Cisco's show or not. I think we discussed about being on Cisco's show. But I'd love to be on that show if I haven't been on Cisco. I've been on a few, but I'd love to uh, uh, be on your show too. Just a cheesy
3: kind of reach out and hey yeah you absolutely
2: vice versa uh, that's fine
3: you and i've been on shows together but some yeah i would love to have you on the morning show like i said tanya and i host that three days a week we have a great time on there and we kind of take time about introducing the show and and doing the lead we trade off duties there she's she's not a co-host she's the other host she's yeah. the other half of team 13 the better half but um yeah, we'd love to have you come on some morning with us, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We usually do about an hour, uh, sometimes a little longer on Thursday because there's not a show that backs up to hours. Mm-hmm. And, uh, i there. And I'm Cisco, I'm going to go ahead and speak on behalf of you here too, but I think we'd love to have Sean on uh, Journey Through the Gate sometime too. That one's, it's got a free form. We just talk till we run out of anything to talk about. And, uh, you get all three of us together, we might—I don't know what kind of show we might come up with. No telling how long. Mm. But yeah, she she said you you are coming on. <laughs> yes, yeah, she, well, she, she verified there that we did talk for three hours on Soraya's show before we realized the host was no longer with us there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, if you've got a lot of in a, that uh, three hours interesting fall. stories to tell, that uh, you can run through three hours without any.
3: Yeah. Uh, that I did did five hours on the old Art Bell show, and it just, there were a lot of network breaks and things, but it flew by, you know, you just, you don't think about it, you get spinning tails, first time Cisco and I ever talked to each other voice, we've never met each other in person, but the first time we talked voice, we talked for about six hours, it was on a Sunday, and uh, I went out and sat on my back deck, and we started swapping tails, I and mean, it was dark by the time I went back in the house,
2: Yeah, I've got a quick question that uh, just popped up in chat. Greg asked, do you have any
3: cryptid stories? Uh, There's several, especially I think in the first book, first two books. I personally haven't really had that much experience with cryptids. I've had some kind of side effects of being near cryptids, if you will. Uh, I've heard uh, the the yips and the yowls and what I believe to be some kind of large creature in the woods that doesn't sound like anything else. And I've been in the woods a lot. I've heard cougar and coyote and uh sometimes a fox, you know, will make a sound like a person screaming. But this was something big and and angry. And like I so said, I've heard the tree knocks. And i also in the Jefferson National Forest there near Damascus, Virginia. I was up there on the Appalachian Trail one time and got pelted with rocks. And this in the middle of the woods, and these are round little river rocks, about the size of a quarter, half dollar. And they were coming straight out of the woods. It wasn't like lobbed at, you know, like an arc, like somebody was throwing them. They were coming straight on, and well,
2: like we I didn't even... have a call here. Hold on just a second. Okay. Hold on just a second. It might be. Hey, this is Chasing Truth. Who do I have on Well,
3: maybe let's see. Maybe it's a call from a ghost.
2: Maybe. Hold on just a second. I might have the wrong thing on.
3: Hello? Hello? Uh Oh, I recognize that voice. Hey.
1: (laughs) My ears were burning.
3: (laughs) All right. Now I can hear
2: you. I can hear you. Definitely. Who do we have on right now? Is that Cisco? Cisco.
1: Hey, Cisco. Hey, everybody.
2: Hey. So you got to. Any- I just wanted to call. In. Go ahead.
1: Call in real quick and say hi. And yes, you are invited.
2: Oh, okay. Well, I just self-invited myself on the show. So somebody said I have no shame, and sometimes I do, and sometimes I <laughs> oh, don't.
1: Shoot. Doors always open, honey. All right. Yes, absolutely. Let's get on there and talk some good stuff. I'm getting a terrible <laughs> echo.
3: A terrible. You okay.
1: don't need me on echo. I talk straight without it.
3: <laughs> really? I'm not hearing an echo on my end. I don't know if Sean's hearing one or not. But
2: well, it may be. Uh, well, I can tell you right now, is everything on my board says there shouldn't be an echo. But if there is an echo, okay. I
1: apologize. No, it's not your fault. It's probably me. Oh, I okay. just wanted to step in quick and say yes, you're invited. And, you know, listening to you guys, it's awesome. Um, I wanted to step in on the dream thing and ask you what you think, and I'll hang up and take it off the air. But um, sometimes you connect in to a frequency, I think. Like there's something going on in the air, and sometimes we connect in, you know, to another energy. Um, like maybe the dreams, prophetic dreams, or things are coming, energies that are starting to happen, like um, 9-11 or animals feel a tornado or change in weather, something along those lines. We'll never understand all the frequencies, all the waves, all the different information out there, but I think sometimes we connect in. What
2: do you think about that? Mm, well, me personally or
3: or um, Steve? Or both?
1: Either
2: one, both. I'll, okay.
3: I'll let you answer because so well, Cisco knows how I feel on that one. Well, we'll get your answer in just
2: a second. I'll tell you my uh, thing of it. With my near death experience, how I viewed the world and how it's connected after the fact, after I woke up uh, from a coma. Uh, I see everything connected like, uh, the, like a snow globe full of, um, uh, spiderwebs. That's, everything's connected that way. And, uh, that, that you know, if you touch, touch the top of the desk, you know, it reverberates and it trans, transmits all over the place. Similar, yeah, that's about the easiest way I could explain it. Now, for 9-11, I actually had a, a premonition dream of 9-11. I actually, uh, back then, before the everything, I was actually in a, recorded that I had a dream about uh, something happening on the East Coast that would uh, be so transformative, such a big event, that the world would feel it and it certainly happened and i can go into it but uh, uh maybe i'll tell that story a little later on your show or somebody else's show or something like oh, that oh that'd
1: be great yeah that'd be great. but
2: uh i had a really robust dream about that uh, even up to and the I, point yeah go ahead
1: i was going to say i agree with you i'm sorry i'm getting like a delay i apologize it's my fault i'm um i'm saying i feel that we are all connected and if that's one message that you guys get out tonight or that we get out and reach out and connect with the people listening, we often forget that what we put out, that's what we get. And, you know, the more we think about it, the more we commiserate on it, it seems to come in big flows. So if we can just kind of put out good as much as we can, we're humans, we have breaking points, but I really think we are all connected. I think there's more to be said about this energy and frequencies and things like that. And that's why I think we have these dreams or where we connect with the dead who are trying to reach out, connected to our energies for certain reasons. Does that make sense, Steve, to you?
3: It does make be- yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. That's because you you think about it, I mean all we are is is energy and that's how our, our brains work, you know, those impulses. Uh the earth is full of different types of uh magnetism, geomagnetic energy. You have the uh, ley lines and things like that. I think everything is connected like that animate and inanimate, it's all a part of the same web, all a part of the same creation. And uh one way I've heard it spoke is that a lot of what's considered natural, if you believe in uh, religious things, that you you realize that all this was spoken out of the supernatural. So the, actually the supernatural is the normal state of the world, and the natural comes out of that. So interesting concept. That's That was from my brother, the, the pastor. But uh, I think everything is connected. I mean, if you look at some like string theory and some of those things, there are connections there in certain certain frequencies. You know, you can, you can make somebody feel good. You can make somebody sick to their stomach or uh, pass out or anything with the right frequency. So it's all about sound, waves, energy. And I think that that's, you know, when a spirit passes out of the body, that's the energy leaving that body and then Uh, like residual hauntings. Um, a lot of times when they have a high amount of those, it'll be somewhere where there's a high concentration of quartz. Quartz has energy. You power a quartz crystal and see what happens. You know, there's the, that's the, the the watch movement or other things that are, are crystal operated. You can make a radio out of a crystal with some copper wire and a razor blade and a nail. And, um, there's just there's something there, and again, I look at, look at a, a tape, for example, a videotape or an audio tape. All that is is ferrous oxide particles on a little piece of mylar. You spin it through one way, you impart electrical impulse on there, it comes across the sound, you play it back, that sound is translated back. I was to say that that couldn't happen with uh, natural materials, and that somehow, however, it gets imprinted, into something and then it's just played back over and over. And I think there are, there are hauntings like that. I've talked about some of the stuff that you had seen in Gettysburg. There's, I've seen some video of a place there where there's like soldiers marching into the woods and it just plays over and over and over and over. But don't understand the conditions or how it would imprint itself. But likewise, I've heard of uh, windows where, uh, a lightning strike has imprinted the face of the person looking out the window in the glass. Yep. So there there's a lot that's we don't understand.
1: Thinking. I yep. know, I know. It's such an interesting subject.
3: Well guys, I didn't
1: mean to hoard in. Well,
2: that's all right. I appreciate you. Know. Yeah, I love you.
3: Love you Happy to have you here, Cisco.
1: And uh you're doing a great job. And yes, Sean, anytime you want, you just mark it on your calendar and let me know.
3: Yeah, just well, let we'll me know, and thing. I'll,
2: I'll make, uh, make time to be on there. How's like,
1: Excellent. Good night, everybody. Hi to everybody in the chat, Unicorps and Pat and everybody, and uh, just keep hanging in there because we, we barely scratched the surface, guys, you know?
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> we'll, there will be people talking about this kind of stuff for ages. Yep. It's true. Yep. Ain't it true. Uh, Good absolutely. night, everybody. Good night. Nice Thanks for show. calling in. Thank you. All right, here's uh, a question. Now, I have to remember the guy's name. Uh, I've had him on my show a couple times, and he's a a ghost photographer. And for whatever reason, his name slips my mind. But uh, he's got a theory, and he does ghost photography uh, over in, um, it's not Williamsburg, but uh, it's over uh, in uh, Colonial Virginia and he's got a theory which he says he gets the best results tim stockton or tim skullline that's his name tim Skullline. uh he he gets his best results uh during a thunderstorm when he takes pictures and gets these full body apparitions and stuff to pop up and uh recognizable faces um uh, do you think that particular theory rings true to what you've come across in the paranormal world
3: i I think so it's again it's it's you know electricity or magnetism or something at work there, and there's there's something strange about storms too. I've noticed that I know when my daughter was just a kid, she had a a toy cell phone that didn't have any batteries in it at the time. And during this huge thunder-lightning storm we had blow up out of nowhere, that phone started ringing. <laughs> Toy phone, no batteries, and it's ringing. I picked it up, and it stopped ringing, and I looked, and there's no batteries in it. So something in that storm was charging the air, or, or or something was afoot there. I mean, that's maybe a scientific explanation, but was it something more than that? I think there's... Sometimes, even though you have a scientific explanation, there's a supernatural one in there wrapped up in that, too.
2: Now, one of the things that, this is not paranormal, but uh, I remember my uh, late father, he was big in the Citizen's so Band radio, and he he loved messing around it, and he would get these uh, thousand-watt linears and stuff, and I remember oh, yeah. he had one set up in the in the house and he had a car CB radio. And uh, CB radio in the car was totally off and he would be transmitting on the one in the house. And it produced so much power that it powered that CB radio. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of lends back to how much, you know, what power can do with particular pieces of electronics and stuff. Can it you know, produce so much power to be able to transmit and power up a CB radio that is physically off? Uh, I've seen it. So why can't it do that with uh, uh, paranormal stuff?
3: Yeah, and I've had other experiences like that. I remember one of the very first video games I had was a type of Pong. I don't know if you're old enough to remember Pong, but it was basically two long blocks on the screen and a square block, and you bounce it back and forth like you're playing tennis. It was one of the first video games. Uh, I had a version, of the Atari was the one that came out with it, but I had a version some from Sears called like teletennis or something like that, and it had to have batteries, it took like six D-cell batteries, I think. Uh, I I brought it home and was plugging it in and had hit the power switch even though I didn't have batteries in it yet, and just for a brief moment, the game screen came on the television and then went right back out with no batteries. What powered that? Where did it get, I mean, is there something charged in there maybe? a capacitor or something. I don't know enough about electricity and electronics, but it had no power source, yet it worked for a second. (laughs) So, and I read another story recently about a guy that was going through a closet and a, a Furby that had been put in the closet years ago, like opened up its eyes and said something and then closed its eyes back. And he thought, man, that how's that thing still have any power? How are those batteries still good? Gets it out, opens it up. And there was no batteries in it. <laughs> Those things are creepy anyway. And if, if one can open its eyes and talk with no batteries, then that's that's a demonic Furby there.
2: Well, I've come across well, I had a lot of Furby, and back when it was so popular, I don't even know where that rascal is. It should be somewhere, maybe in a locker somewhere. But uh, they were so popular, and thought uh, they could record. Certain aspects of speech and stuff—that's a recording that they, you know, outlawed them on a certain bases, military bases, mm-hmm. back in the day. But I have seen some stuff in, uh, like, um, to go back with uh, what causes hauntings, what makes the hauntings appear. Uh, I've come across several stories and some incredible paranormal events in a, a hospital setting where. I can't say a whole lot other than just generalized things just because of patient stuff. But uh, the a particular patient, I never knew. This is just, I just know part of the story and experienced the paranormal event afterwards. Uh, the patient uh, died a long, long death in a hospital room. And that particular hospital room was haunted to, uh, it's one of the most haunted places I've been in. Uh, to the point where, you know, patients would uh, describe to me the same person, uh, years apart, actually, mm-hmm. to, the, to the exact same dress where they were sitting the whole, whole nine yards. It was, it was creepy. So I think uh, as, uh, you mentioned about, uh, you know, battlefields and stuff, uh, uh, how horrid, how horrible uh, a person dies. It may leave an imprint. You know, on a particular spot, I, I I about guarantee that. So, let's see. Let's go to the chat room and uh, say hey to a couple people. Let's see. Of course, we just said hey, cat word earlier. PA Nightmares is in there. Cisco was in there. Unicorps Tales is over there in the YouTube chat room. Give you a shout out over there. Don't AFK. Um. Greg Connor uh, has been in there for a little bit. Hey, Greg. A um, couple things. Have you uh, you said you didn't come across any kind of Bigfoot or cryptids or anything like that? Have you come across uh, some weird uh, residual stuff from cryptids, like footprints or anything like that? You, I know you you told about the Water Witch thing, but um, yeah.
3: I I have seen some some big footprints before um, up here where I'm at now. I'm in Portland, Oregon, right across the river from Vancouver, Washington. You get on above Vancouver, it's the Gifford uh, Pinchot Forest is up there. They had a lot of Bigfoot sightings in that area. I'd gone up there with a friend. It was that's well, been a couple of years ago. It was in the springtime, but uh, we got up high enough in the mountains that there was still. Snow. There's still some snow up there, even in, I think this is like maybe April, maybe May. And we're out marveling at the snow. Like, wow, you know, we're above the snow line. There's still snow out here. And there was some kind of huge, huge footprints up there that it looked in snow. It looked human, but it was, you know, maybe would have been about a size 18 or something. You know, it's like barefoot, of course. But, uh, had somebody step there and it just, you know, the snow kinda of melted around it and made it look bigger. But again, why would anybody have been barefoot out in the middle of the woods? And this was just off the road a little ways in the the trees. So I don't know. And I've I've found I talk about that in the the uh one of my books there that uh finding you know, footprints what look like a child's barefoot prints in the snow that just started in an area from nowhere continued for a time and then just stopped where, you know, how did they get there? How did it start? And then where did they go? And there's not going to be little kids out barefoot in the snow in the woods, you know, so no, no other footprints leading up to it. Hmm. And then none leading away. So how would you explain that?
2: Uh, well, the, all your paranormal experiences, we were talking about, uh, you know, what we suspect, what we, uh, come across some paranormal events or maybe it is not paranormal events have you come across someone that was trying to trick you or uh you've come to the conclusion that the paranormal event that uh, or whatever was happening wasn't paranormal
3: I haven't really had a personal experience like that where anybody's trying to trick me other than, you know, somebody hiding and jumping out at me or something like that. But I do have a story in one of my books called The Light in the Coffin. And I think I've narrated that one for my channel too, where uh this was a long, long time ago. A guy was uh dating this girl that lived quite a ways away. They call it courting or sparking or whatever. And he'd go visit Sunday night after church. You know, they'd sit on the porch and hold hands. This was, the way they used to do things back in the old fashioned, you know. And, uh, he had, had to walk home after their little date broke up there. And he thought, well, I can save myself some time if I cut through the woods. It'd shave a couple of miles off. And he had to get up early and work and lived on a farm. So he cut through the woods and he saw what he thought off, off in the, the woods there. I think it was in a briar patch or something. A coffin with a light glowing in it. And, you know, a lot of people in the South, they they have their superstitions and my granny was like that with a lot of things that anything that happened that was weird or unusual, it was a sign. It was an omen. It was important, you know, something's going to happen, usually something bad. And it it shook this guy up, you know, he's like, I've seen a coffin with a light in it. it and he immediately decided, you know, it's, it's me, I'm going to die, that's my warning. Gets back home. Uh, Basically, he's sobbing at this point, wakes the house up. His mother was very superstitious and she starts wailing and all. You know, oh, you know this, this is terrible. Something, you know, some tragic fate is going to befall probably you since you're the one who saw it. And finally the dad decides, okay, I've had enough. We're going to go back out there. We're going to find this coffin with a light in it and see what it is. So his dad has to literally drag him back out to go into the woods along the same trail that he took to get home, going back the other way. Sure enough, off in the the distance there, he sees this thing with a light glowing in it, and uh, the the guy's just too scared to even go near it. Well, the, the father wades out into the briar patch there, and all of a sudden, the guy says his dad just busts out in the biggest belly laugh he's ever heard, and he's like, son, come here now. Guy reluctantly goes over there, and it was part of a hollow log, with a spider web in it, and there was a, a firefly, a lightning bug, caught in the spider web. So the log kind of looked oblong, and the way it was broken, it looked like a coffin with the lid open, and the light in it, the glowing light, was a firefly and a spider web. So there you go. And that guy said, If my dad hadn't dragged me back out there and shown me, you know, what a fool I'd been. He's like, I probably would have died of fright or at least, you know, had some kind of fit or something that night because he was so scared and so worked up. And I think that can happen, too. You can scare yourself to the point that you can do damage to yourself, too. That's why, like the other night, I see the shadow person. I go in there after. I'm going to see what it is. But didn't find anything, so I just turned out the light. No light, no shadow. <laughs> oh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> but yeah, just, you know, not, not everything is paranormal and likewise, not everything is, is, has a scientific explanation either. Can you know, go a lot of it's in the perception of the, the very, the kind of the elephant in the room there. The, if you've ever heard the story about the, the four blind men describing an elephant, one guy says, well, it's, it's flat and it's, you know, rough and he's feeling the side of it. Another guy says, well, it's round. He's filled the leg and the other guy says, well, it's curly on the end. You know, he's got the tail and no one's got the trunk. You know, they're, they're all examining the same thing, but they're all telling you something different because of where they're approaching it from. And I think the paranormal is like that too. Depending on the person having the experience, you could have a shared experience with several people and they all might experience it a little differently. And I think that's just part of human nature.
2: Um, let's see. Uh, let's, uh, I'm kind of curious. What kind of, uh, if, you, if you went ghost hunting, what would you take with you? Would you take any particular items or, or measuring devices, say spirit boxes, recorders, or cameras, or anything like that?
3: I, I've never used any of those. I would like to try it, though, just to see what would happen uh one thing i would do i'd take a micro cassette recorder i've heard some very compelling and convincing ep evps that have been captured uh, in fact uh next uh episode of Cisco's show we've got a guy on that uh got some very very interesting ep evps uh some of them from um you know where brushy mountain penitentiary is there in wartburg or where it used to be mm-hmm. got some evps from there it's not in use anymore apparently they let people ghost hunt in there so i would definitely take some kind of recorder even if a phone or something like that i've heard good evps caught on a phone before uh, i think uh, something to measure uh, temperature would be good um, especially one of those laser thermometers where you can shine it on a spot and read the temperature between where you are and, and the temperature there uh... maybe a, a EMF meter something to measure electromagnetic frequencies because they've shown that a lot of times in haulings there will be a disturbance and you see that on TV and in the videos all the time, those EMF meters going off. Doesn't necessarily mean it's a ghost, but there's something there, either something electric or electronic or you know, something causing that fluctuation.
2: Well, from the perspective of me being in a healthcare field and having to deal with uh uh, brain EEGs electromagnetic uh, frequencies of the brain. Uh, a lot, not a, not everything has to do with. You know, if you get, let me let me rethink this. Um, uh, the frequencies of the brain are exposed to everything around you. So you've got the cell phone. You got that radiation coming from the cell phone, the EMF radiation, plus the wiring around you. That can cause a, all kinds of crazy Uh, hallucinations plus, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever, you know, uh, give you fear, give you fright, that kind of deal. The one thing I wanted to ask is have you uh, come across a paranormal event or a ghost sighting or a ghost or a haunting that uh, uh, feeds off emotion? Uh, That's one of the things that, you know, the theories that I come across is if you – uh, like uh, the shadow people, I've seen tons of shadow people. Not every sh- like a, like you. Not every shadow is uh, paranormal. But I've seen mm-hmm. tons of shadow people that come around uh, death and a lot of hatred and emotion. Have you come across stuff that feeds off that stuff?
3: Uh, I have, and uh, it was in strange that you mentioned it was in a hospital setting. Uh, when my daughter was first born, she was jaundiced. And uh, they sent her over to East Tennessee Children's Hospital just as a precaution. And they they put her under ultraviolet lamp, you know, and it cured it right up. But that was my first time ever in that place. And I'm kind of sensitive to stuff, but I felt just the most overwhelming evil presence. It was like something just hanging over that place. And I think that's what it was. It was some sort of, I don't know that you would call it an entity or a presence or what that was feeding off the pain and the misery of those children. And it was just a, in my inner being, you know, I saw it. It was like just this black cloud. I mean, jet black cloud that just hung over this place. It was pulling all that out of there. Now, what it was going to do with that negative energy, who knows? But it just, it was very evil, very dark feeling. And I just, I felt physically ill just, just being there. And I, I felt that other places, particularly hospitals, nursing homes, anywhere where there's, there's people suffering or, uh, any type of thing like that. There's, there's things of whatever nature that are drawn to that. I think, and like I said, that feed off of that. No, no explanation for it, but I've, I've felt it. It's very real. And, uh, I've learned to kind of put up a wall, uh, I protect myself. I, carry crystals and, and gemstones and things like that. That's more the Native American. I'm an eighth Cherokee. Mm-hmm. But there's just, you had to prepare yourself for it. There was another time, a little out of the way nowhere town in uh, the middle of North Carolina. I was headed to the Outer Banks, and I'd stopped to spend the night in uh, a little town called Dunn. And that was just one of the weirdest places I've ever been. And just had this. I couldn't sleep. And just it was felt sick and i thought there was something wrong with me and then the next day when i got up and, and got out of town then as soon as i passed outside the city limits within a few minutes i started feeling better so it, it was something there and uh i found it in a book later uh there's a book called weird america by jim brandon came out sometime in the 70s i want to say 1973 or thereabouts and it's kind of uh early uh, paranormal investigators guy before everybody got into the the legend tripping and the paranormal explorations and everything and Dunn was listed in there as like a little hot spot there had been monsters and then what he called ministers which was the cavortings of a little man the size of a coke bottle and um also found out there's a, a lot of voodoo in that town in in certain parts of town I know We're live in New Orleans, a lot of voodoo in that town, too. You got the queen of voodoo, Marie Laveau, there in the cemetery. But that, and another place, um, just across the river, Washington State, another friend, I was, we were driving. And, uh, when came into the city, or just community limits, it's not even a city, it's just a little wide spot on the road. But as soon as we passed into the, the welcome to, And it's called Yacult, Y-A-C-O-L-T, Washington, little bitty town out in the middle of nowhere. But as soon as we passed in the city limits, I had the weirdest feeling. At first, it kind of started like a deja vu. I'd never been there before, and then I just, something just kept getting the creeps and getting the creeps. And it's like, there's something here. I don't know what this is, and I didn't have any cell phone reception. It was that far out in the boonies, so I'm trying to look up Yacult, Washington, on my phone. Didn't get anything. And then as soon as we drove back out of this little town, the feeling went away. I pulled it up on my phone finally when I got back to where I could get a signal. Well, you called, and I can't remember what tribe it is in that area. It's a Native American word, and it means Valley of the Fire Demon. Mm. And this place is known for, uh, there was a, a big uh, wildfire that broke out, I think it was back in the 1800s, known as the Occult Burn. It basically took out the whole town and a lot of the surrounding forest. To this day, they still have unexplained fires that break out. There's a, a phantom train that goes through there on the railroad tracks that are no longer used. There's a restaurant right across from the train depot called the Whistle Stop Cafe. And I had a, an experience there with where something wouldn't let me out of the bathroom and I heard kids giggling. And then I finally got the door open and there's nobody there. I talked to the proprietor about it. She actually lived in an apartment above the restaurant. And she said, yeah, you've, you've met our ghost. She said, there are ghost children here and they like to play tricks. And there's another legend about a Native American legend about somebody kind of like the Pied Piper who came through there at one point and took all the children from this tribe. So that's supposedly who the ghost children are did some more research, uh, found a lady on Facebook that had lived there when she was a kid, and she talked about walking home from school, she would cut through this field, and she said there were tiny, what she described as Native American braves, about two feet tall, that would chase her and shoot arrows at her when she went through this field and wooded area. So again, there's something there, I didn't, I'd never heard of it, didn't know anything about it, but I could feel it. And then sure enough, look it up and here's all these wild stories and more. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you explain that? I, I want to go back there and then do some more in-depth research and talk to some more people there. There's, there's a lot, there's probably a book in just in that little town with all the things they've had. I love phantom trains. That's one of my favorite things to study about. And the, the tiny Native American people and the, the fires and the ghost kids in the restaurant, they're just this a, a plethora. Any, anything you're interested in, the paranormal, it's kind of there. The unexplained fires.
2: <laughs> now, every time I look to, um, you know, occasionally I'll, I'll get a wild hair and look up my journal area. And I keep finding a place that I used to ride my bicycle through. Uh, they actually found an old forgotten cemetery. That I've Mm -hmm. rode past so many times and they found it about three years ago. And uh, apparently some of the family members and stuff rode by, but uh, uh, moved out of the area, moved down to Texas. And then one of the descendants came back up here hunting for the old homestead that had a a family cemetery there, a family plot and i looked it up and i was like i've rode my bicycle through that area so many times i never knew it and they found remnants of uh, the old uh, log cabin that was there the mm-hmm. actual uh, municipality of the town i live in uh, mowed down just once they said that they didn't have the budget to go through and mow it down again to expose the uh, cemetery and the old homestead that was you know obviously eh, left in ruin, but there's so many things that are out there, even on this property that I uh, I live on is a. Uh, this house is well over 110 years old, maybe 120, or maybe more. I don't know, but uh, there used to be a local grocery store here. You can't tell it just by looking at the you know the house now, but there there was one in my youth, there, mm-hmm. and uh, you you know my father, when I was a kid, used to uh, have metal detect the backyard and he found remnants of uh hitching posts and all that stuff so it's hard to tell what is around here
3: yeah so that's something that i've found too you never know what's been there but chances are there's been something there unless you're out you know in the middle of the great smokies or some big wilderness there and even then there's been native peoples there at some point I, i don't think there's too many places where somebody at some time has set foot there most likely but yeah, that's, and even like when I'm traveling and I have to stay at a hotel or something, I'll go in a hotel room and smudge it with sage and sprinkle salt in the corners and stuff. You don't know what's going on in there. There could have been a murder. There could have been, you know, anything. And it's sometimes you have to kind of do a little housekeeping, open up the door and you know, hey, anything in here, get out. Mm. But there's, there's, there's stuff out there that, that, that's attracted to places or that's, drawn to places or stuck in places, and I think it pays to be diligent. <laughs> okay.
2: Uh, I know uh, we talked about Ouija boards earlier. Uh, the one thing that, you know, obviously I'm not an expert on it at all. You know, I'm, I'm less than a novice at it yeah, because I never touched one, don't plan on touching one. Uh, is there a specific uh, recipe to you know, starting a Ouija board out and, and stopping it? stopping the session Um, or whatever
3: I've seen it done both ways I've seen people where they just put their their fingers on it and they ask questions and wait for it to move and then I've seen other people who will start out moving it themselves in kind of a figure 8 pattern or an infinity pattern on its side there and then the, the planchette will move and uh I've even known people that could do it by themselves. There was a, a lady I was acquainted with there in Oak Ridge that could weed you by herself. And from what I understand, that's pretty rare. I've tried that, it didn't work for me. I had to have at least one other person, I had as many as four on uh one planchette. But uh this particular lady, yeah, she could do it by herself. And she said sometimes it would fly off, like it would fly out from under her fingers and, and take off the board and hit the wall or something. But she had a teenage son that was killed. Uh, he was out skateboarding late at night, and uh, somebody in a fast car took the curve a little too sharp, ran over into the, the shoulder and, and killed him. And she said that after he died, she cannot get on any widget board because something comes through claiming to be the spirit of her son and won't leave her alone. Hmm. So is is it him? Is it a demon, You know, familiar spirit uh, there to mock her or... Who knows, but she won't touch one now. Mm. Well,
2: uh, we have one question, of course, uh, from Cat Ward, the Paranormal Heart uh, uh, lady. If you go on the Paranormal Heart, just look that up, and it's part of the Dark Waters Radio Channel family. Uh, She asks, do you think sage oil will work like burning sage?
3: Uh, I'm probably not really qualified to answer that since it is a Native American tradition. Cisco would could probably give you a more definitive answer on that, but I would think it would because it's the properties of the sage and the ceremony I think is probably more important. I've heard of people burning other things. I've heard of people burning cedar and, and smudging with that. Sage just, it's plentiful, it's cheap, a lot of people use that. And there's even a type of sage called uh, holy sage that a lot of people will use only that. But then I've also talked to people that say that I use whatever I get at the dollar store because I can get a huge bag of it for a dollar. So again, it's, you know, whether, you, it again, it's, and that kind of bleeds over into, into Wicca and things like that. You have people that, that follow that path and that do things a certain way. And then you've got what you call your kitchen witches. That use just whatever is available to them, and I think it works that way with uh, this type of thing too, protection and things like that. And again, it's depending on your heritage and what feels right for you, well, that's, I think that's, that's what all I would intent, recommend
2: personally. Yeah, it's all yeah. intent. No matter what the, you, can... you know, if you're doing, yeah, if you're doing something to you know get something from the paranormal, the ether, or whatever, it's all all intent from my perspective. Yeah,
3: I could think you could just as well uh, burn a piece of paper or a cinnamon stick or something and, and get the same. Like like Sean said, it's it's the intent behind it and what you imbue into it and the, your reason for doing it and, and use what's available to you. I mean, there. Well, we've got about eight more minutes, and
2: uh, Dark Waters just popped up in the YouTube chat over there on the Dark Waters channel. And today is his birthday, so happy birthday, Dark Waters, the uh, King of Yeah. Happy birthday, Dark Waters. And apparently he'd been drinking a little bit of that Vino and misspelled <laughs> my name, but that's all right. <laughs> happy birthday. birthday. Hope you have a great weekend. You picked a good uh, day of the week, Saturday. So have a birthday on. So happy birthday, DW. Yeah, God uh, bless you.
3: Awesome. He pops into the the show sometimes on Dizalma He'll come, come in. He's been, when I was doing a live show before, he's popped in. So never know where he'll turn up.
2: Uh, great fella. Uh, I have uh, nothing but good things to say about that guy. So ha- the happiest birthdays to you, buddy. Now, um, I guess what we need to do is ask one more question. Uh, what do you see yourself doing in a uh, year from now?
3: Uh, Well, let's see. I've got a lot of irons in the fire. Got a lot of things going on. Like I mentioned, uh, the other half of Team 13, uh, Tanya Jones, Unicorp's Tales. She and I've got a lot of things going on that we've got planned that can't really talk about, but, uh, part of it involves something we've been asked to work on for the travel channel. That's about all I can say about that right now. Um, I've got some more books in the works. Uh, Cisco and I have got a, a work of fiction coming out. It's, mainly her again i'm coming along for the ride and helping out there's a, a story on uh my channel It started out as the cabin which uh a little short story she wrote it's creepy it's a paranormal thing but it's it's pure fiction she wrote that for me and gave it to me for my birthday which was october 31st halloween but uh i did a thing called the 31 nights of halloween where i released a video every single night in october well with the exception of uh halloween night i did a live stream then ended up streaming for 37 hours but that's another story but um she wrote this story the cabin little short story and she said you know there's there's more to that story and i said i think so too so she continued so that was a prequel and then we went into part one of um the strange case of cabin 22 and she wove this tale just You mentioned the ether a minute ago. She pulled this one out of the ether. She didn't know she could write fiction. She had never tried it. And literally, she's writing this, recording it, sending it to me. I'm putting it up, and then she's going on to the next one. She's just writing it as she goes along. It's got all these plots and story arcs and stuff woven together. It's one of the most amazing tales I've ever read. And like I said, she's just pulling it out of the air, and she said she even thinks that she's got a quote unquote ghostwriter, something that that's guiding her hand. She said there was times when she would finish a chapter and go back and read it and not even have any recollection of writing it. So it's it's kinda spooky there. We're up to part five and I think she's gonna tie everything together in part six. It's it's all on my channel. I've got a playlist set up for it, and uh she's just about finished with six, I think, and then that's gonna be the end of that part, and then there's some standout characters in there that may end up with a book of their own. But we're turning it not only into a novel. Uh, she wants to do an audio book uh, and offer that on Audible through Amazon. And she's told me that she wants me to write the film script for it. And I've got connections in those areas, too. Uh, and in a past uh, incarnation, I worked for both Nickelodeon and, the, and Disney. In, uh, television production. So, gonna see what I can stir up and, and maybe get something going in that direction. But, uh, as always, got the, the morning show, um, right now, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, with, uh, Tanya, Unicorps, and I, and whatever we can come up with on Fight. Sometimes we'll do a show that, where we've researched and written something and kind of bat it back and forth, like with the cursed items and, Cursed Books and Cursed Music and things that I told you about. Other times we have a guest. Uh, in fact, uh, just last week, Tanya wanted to interview Cisco about the new book, and we had Cisco on. So we kind of, you know, pass things around and have this one and that one. Well, we've got some interesting guests coming up. Um, can't say too much about that either because it's secret. But, again, this is something that ties into the Travel Channel. Somebody you, you know from there and would recognize me going to be on the show. They've already agreed to be on. We're just... Into the point of scheduling it now, and, and uh, a lot, it's a lot, lot of stuff to look forward to.
2: I'll definitely be uh, paying attention to your YouTube channel. It's uh, 13 past midnight, of course, folks. Yeah, you know, it's about three more minutes left, and we'll be signing off here in a little bit. But uh, yeah, 13 past midnight on YouTube. If you want to go by and give him a little love and, and look him up, and also look over and it. Awesome
3: channel, great people. Out, with both of those channels. Cat uh, Ward, uh, Kat Paranormal is. Heart. Go check her out. Give her some subscriptions. She's got awesome, awesome shows that she does. Uh Unicorps Tales. Tanya Jones, the the other oh. half of Team Thirteen, my better half there. Um, Go check her channel out. She's done some of my stories, narrated some of my stories, and she actually did a piece of fiction that I wrote. I'm stuck with the the true paranormal stuff and. I was digging around in my files and thought, I wonder if anybody would be interested in this. And she narrated a, a piece that I'd written years ago called Dark Carnival. Everybody's loving it, and now they're saying, more fiction, more fiction. So I'm going to try out some of my old uh, short stories and things and, and narrate those. I've got another one of those premiered on my channel that Tanya narrated for me uh, tomorrow at um, – I I forgot the time but if you go to my channel you'll see there's I think it's 2 p.m. Eastern 5 p.m. Pacific and uh 10 p.m. in the UK. I may have that totally wrong. Go check out 13 past midnight and it'll it'll tell you there you can go ahead and uh click on the link to be notified when it starts. My pleasure cat. You you do great things over there. Cats in Canada by the way.
2: Ah, uh, Canada. Great uh Great white North Canada.
3: Absolutely. So meanwhile Almost. in Canada, Tim Hortons.
2: Georgia, studying her heart out for a test.
3: Oh, bless her heart. I know she's back to school and, and really making some waves there. i really excited for you, Cap. Right. And I want to thank Cisco for dropping by too. She and I, right. we got all this stuff going on. It's nice to see a lot of people that I know come by here and made a lot of new friends tonight. Uh, I'll be checking out, I'll go back and listen to the playback of this and checking out some of your channels for the people that have them. But uh, also you can find me on Facebook, Steve Stockton, and I'm on uh, Twitter, Strange and Odd is my handle on there. Uh love love to, to follow and be followed, so check me out on Twitter.
2: All right. Well, then you also can find them on Amazon. Just look up, uh, My Strange World, Steve Stockton, and you'll get connected with, uh, four books that he's uh, either all the author or part of the author with Cisco Murdoch. So go over there and do that. Now, folks, of course, we're getting to the end of the, uh, this live, uh, radio show. And I can't, uh, go without saying go over to imdarkwaters.com. And you'll find a plethora, a myriad of horror narration, comic books, books, all kinds of different uh, things to tantalize your uh, horror uh, taste buds over there at iamdarkwaters.com. Subscribe. You'll get some free stuff over there if you want to you know, check it out. Uh, again, happy birthday to Dark Waters, the king of horror narration. I uh, appreciate it. For him having the gall to have me on uh, the (laughs) Dark Waters Radio Channel and the Dark Waters Entertainment family. So, folks, thanks to Steve Stockton, 13 past midnight.
3: Go over there on YouTube,
2: 13 past midnight. Thank you, Sean, for having me on, and thanks
3: thanks to Dark Waters for giving you the platform to do it again. Happy birthday there, D.W., Uh, What are you thirty? I guess he's about thirties. That sounds about
2: right. I uh, guess. And uh, thanks (laughs) to Greg Connor, man. Greg, buddy, we need to talk again. I I, I saw some stuff in that chat that you kind of let loose. I'd like to talk about that. Uh, But uh, folks, next Saturday night, you know, same time, seven to nine p.m. Central Time. Uh, Next week, I'm going to have uh, Buddy. Uh, I guess you don't, buddy, on uh, next week. His name is Chris Garcia, Psychic Chris. As he's known, he's been on many shows and stuff. He's going to be live and taking calls. Uh, if you want to m- uh, meet up here next time, 7 to 9 p.m. Central Time, and we'll be Chasing the Truth with Chris Garcia. So, folks, have a wonderful weekend, and happy Thanksgiving to everybody out there. So, folks, here we go. Let's uh, hit this. Outro music, if I can find a button to push it. And let's go.
4: A lot of you, I was confused. i was like, I don't even know this dude. So I answered, yeah, in a little while. Then he said, you might want to head on in. At least get to moving off this spot. When I asked him why, he said, you must not be from around here. And I said, no, sir, I'm not. He's like, well, let me tell you something. This is not the spot you want to be in. So you need to get the moving on in. Then he drove off in his boat. As he drove away, he looked back at me over his shoulder, kind of shaking his head. And looking at me with this look on my face like I was crazy or stupid. But I didn't care. I wanted to see Dogman for myself. And I wasn't leaving that spot until I saw it. Right about 5.55, the sun started going down. And the further it went down, the crazier things got. The first thing I saw was two big alligators, 10 to 12 feet long, come running off that island. You know how they say gators can move about 9 to 10 miles an hour when they're on land? Well, these two big boys moving 12 to 13. I mean, they came barreling off the island, sliding into the water and disappeared. Next, I could hear another boat in the distance. And I'm not sure where it was, but this thing's engine was wide open. And when I came in, there was a lot of debris in the water. Whoever that was was risking their life speeding like that. They could have easily hit something and flipped over. Then stuff got even more weird. Everything in the swamp went silent. And when I say everything, I mean everything. No more crickets, no more fish moving, no frogs croaking, no nothing. It was eerie. Next, I started to hear this splashing sound in the water. It was a ways off, but I was 100% certain that something was in the water splashing around. But it wasn't the sound of fish jumping. It sounded like something actually swimming through the water. About five minutes after that, I saw the first one. It was on all fours, and it ran past those same trees that I was standing next to earlier that day. The light had gotten real dim, but I was still able to see it. Then I saw a smaller one sniffing around. Man, to be honest with you, I was completely disappointed. Because if this was supposed to be the Rougarou, it couldn't have been. It just looked like large dogs running on all fours. But it wasn't until I heard this growling sound that I was sure the dog man was somewhere around. My entire body trembled. And for the first time, I realized that maybe I had bitten off way more than I can chew. And although I heard the growl, when I looked around, I couldn't see any. Based on what I heard, I really didn't want to see what made that sound. So I grabbed the rope attached to the anchor, started to pull it up out of the water. That's when I hear the sound of another boat coming down the channel. And this thing is moving. It has lights on in front of it, and it's headed directly towards me. I start to wave and swing my hands, trying to signal them and let them know that I was there. And right at the last second, they swerve and turn away. And it was crazy. Because you know how it is when you're driving in your car, and you pass by another vehicle, and you get a quick glimpse of the person through their window as they're passing by? It was just like that. Except for the guy was looking at me and pointing to the island. Then the wake from his boat tossed me and shook me a little bit, making me drop the ankle back into the water. And while I was stumbling around on his boat, trying to regain my balance, I heard that growling sound again. This time, it was way louder and much closer. By now, there's absolutely no light left. And I'm freaking out. What you have to understand is this boat passed on the right-hand side of me. And the island is to the left. So the wake was actually pushing my boat closer and closer to the island. I was in danger I knew it and I felt it. Although I didn't see anything at that point in time, I knew my life was in mortal danger. so I grabbed the rope and start pulling the anchor up again and in the back of my mind I already know the more I pull this anchor up the closer and closer I'm gonna drift to this island. So I start pulling as fast as I can and get the anchor up on the boat. and as I'm maneuvering my body to get behind the steering wheel of the boat, I start to hear this rustling sound which instantly let me know, that I had drifting way closer to this island than I wanted to. So I cranked the engine, throw the boat in reverse, and start wheeling it around so I can turn and go in the opposite direction. As I'm turning, I flick on the floodlight right at the front of the boat, and it slowly starts to illuminate that water in the channel and the island itself. And all I can tell you is that what I saw completely messed me up. As the boat turned, that floodlight illuminated everything Right on that spot where I was about four hours earlier, I saw a creature. This thing was nine to 10 feet tall and standing on two legs. It was looking right at me. And about 10 feet out from the bank into the water were two more of these things. I couldn't see their bodies, but I could see their eyes, snouts, and ears poking out of the water. Man, Now, some people are going to think I'm lying, but I know exactly what I saw. Those eyes illuminated this orangish yellow color. For a split second, I thought it might have been gators. Their eyes illuminate red at night. This color was an amber-orange color, and it was bright. And unlike an alligator, these eyes were huge. Man, I hit the throttle on that boat and got the hell out of there. When I reached the boat rental dock, I got out, walked up there, handed the owner the keys, got in my truck, and drove until I was 250 miles away from them swamps. Only then did I start to feel safe. I got me some coffee, and after that, I drove until I was completely tired and was about to pass out. I pulled over at a well lit truck stop and slept. A few hours later, I drove again and kept on driving all the way till I got home. After seeing these creatures, I was so afraid. When I got home, I took every book, every article, everything I had about Dog Man and burned it. Not only are they real, but they were about to kill me.
1: Professor, hold on just one moment. I've got my connection back to CNN's Anderson Cooper. Anderson, what's the water and food situation there?
5: Uh, it is very bad. I mean, they're, they're basically, as far as we know, is no potable water. There's no electricity for pumps. Uh, and there's a lot of the people have been evacuated. We found a couple of people just kind of stumbling around and uh, just kind of looking for something. They don't have electricity. They can't uh cook up their food it's rotting uh some people have been encouraged to to try to barbecue whatever food they have in their refrigerator uh but you know there's no ice it is it is really miserable for people here right now we've seen a bunch of people lined up uh, for some ice just to get a cool drink
1: Uh... anderson barbecue how rub two sticks together I'm sorry. How do you barbecue? How do you tell the people to barbecue food? They have no electricity. They have no water. They have no home to go to barbecue. How? What what do they mean?
5: Well, I mean, you know, that's the thing. All you can do is build a fire and try to cook up what you have. I mean, it's a survival technique. You know, I mean. It's really gotten down to that and and it's hard to sort of, you know, we're all comfortable in in, in our regular lives and and it's hard to imagine how quickly you can be just taken out of your life, living your normal life and, and, you know, being brought into survival conditions and that's what people are in right now, Nancy. Uh, You know, darkness has fallen, Uh, people got nowhere to go. It is really, it's miserable and and it's just going to get worse. There's no end in sight really for these people.
4: It's hard to explain to people who didn't live through Hurricane Katrina how difficult it was. Truthfully, I'm not even going to try to. This story is not about Hurricane Katrina. It's about what I saw in the aftermath. Now, there are some simple facts that you need to know. In January 2006, the city was still empty. Very few people had moved back here. A second fact that you need to know is there was absolutely no public utilities active. And yeah, they had some power in the French quarters and the CBD.
0: Dick Pet Honda for all your automotive needs. Shop and save on over 1,300 of your favorite new Hondas during the Happy Honda Days sales event. Like a new 2019 Honda Accord LX front-wheel drive sedan, lease for $249 a month, 36 months, 12,000 miles per year, and zero security deposit. Visit us at eleven one fifty one US forty nine in Gulfport. Online at DickPetHonda.com. Stock number KA one six one five three three automatic 2099 due signing plus tax, tax and title fee to qualified buyer. See dealer for details. Ends one Pick Peck Honda for all your automotive needs. Shop and save on over 1,300 of your favorite new Hondas during the Happy Honda Days sales event. Like a new 2019 Honda Accord LX front wheel drive sedan, lease for 249 a month, 36 months, 12,000 miles per year, and zero security deposit. Visit us at 11151 US 49 in Gulfport. Online at petpethonda.com. Stock number KA161533. Automatic 2099 due signing, plus tax, tag and title fee to qualified buyer See for details. Ends 1220.